the vision was really to combine three things. Uh, one is like a home page for professionals on the web. It's, I think, still a little ways off before we really delve into virtual reality for good. Uh, maybe that's not such a desirable thing anyway. It's typically what VCs do, right? They <laughs> sort of take something and say, you got to make it bigger. Why would you want to search for a person by name? You know them. You don't need to search for them. They're probably not on here anyway. Super excited to have Constantine here. Of course, you know, Constantine, co-founder of LinkedIn. But even before that, just amazing entrepreneurial story. Came over here from Germany, studying engineering. Later on, became, you know, VP of marketing at Presenter.com, which was acquired by WebEx. It was a presentation authoring tool. Later on... VP of Marketing at Blackstone Interactive, where he was marketing a 3D virtual reality chat system. And back in 97, you know, me, met Reed Hoffman, started talking, had an idea for this, for this social networking site that was completely different from everything else at the time. Friendster was the big thing. MySpace was going to enter the space. People were focusing on teenagers trading videos at the time. And here it is, a new idea for this completely new thing. And we might even charge for it versus everybody was doing you know, advertising at the time. So, and one thing led to another. Lots of talking. LinkedIn launched at the time when you know afterwards MySpace entered in, and it's just an amazing way how it gained traction and you know stayed stable and clean. And and so I, I invited him here to just talk about those early days, how how uh, the idea was born, and of course the the traction that they gained. With that, let's let's welcome Constantine with Zerp Soapbox. Thanks, Dimitri, for having me over. And uh, I don't get get out here um, very often, but it's it's fun. I love the little downtown area. Yeah. It's almost like you you, have, you know you can't blink or or you've gone right through it. But I was trying to find parking across there, and I said, oh, I can't park here. There's only ten minute parking. Only later did I realize it's actually ten hour parking. <laughs> so so very liberal parking policies here. The funny thing about it is the, the 10 hours, uh -huh. they limit it from 8 to 6, so, the 10 hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's basically 24-hour parking. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, let's, let's take a picture of that. So, uh, so I thought I'd kind of share about um, just, and we keep it really informal, whatever you want to ask anytime, interrupt, uh, and so forth, but share about like the really early days, because usually people, that's sort of the least known, and it's kind of fun for especially you who you know, either have been entrepreneurs or want to become entrepreneurs. I think it's interesting kind of how it comes together. Um, so, um, so I think like the first touch was in right, uh, I think that was like 96 or 97, there was a site called Six Degrees. Um, and it became very popular. It had like millions of users, but it got kind of the spammy reputation. But, but it sort of broke on the scene because um, you know it just grew so quickly, and people didn't. But people didn't know quite to do with it. It was almost more like a reenactment of that experiment, the Six Degrees experiment from I forgot some. You know, right? <laughs> Manal will know. Stanley Milgram experiment. Thank you. Whenever I don't know, I'll ask Manal because <laughs> he was there. You know, pretty early too. When what employee number what first fifteen or twenty or something like that. So, um, anyway, and um, I, I, I thought of something called, um, at the time, and, and, I, and I met with Reed and we talked about it called PeopleMap, and I got actually the PeopleMap domain. And the vision was really to combine three things. Uh, one is like a home page for professionals on the web. 
um, because I, at the time, GeoCities was the big thing when you come from home pages, but I never made a GeoCities homepage, and I'm in marketing. And so, you know, and I knew the founders well, and like, why did I never create a homepage on GeoCities? And I just realized I couldn't afford to have a bad homepage. And that's what a lot of marketing, keeps, marketing people keeps them away from doing things, because it has to be at a certain level. So that's why people can just do PowerPoint, because at least you don't screw up. I mean, you don't do anything great with PowerPoint, but at least you don't screw up than if you try to get you know, a bitmap editor and try to do something with paint or something like that. So, and I remember for my wedding, you know, I used the wedding channel and created this gorgeous page with e-commerce and everything, but it was just templates. You know, that's kind of what I could do. is like pick a template, fill out a questionnaire, and then sort of magically it appears. So, so that was going to be one of the three pillars. The second was... Um, <clears throat> a self-updating artist book, you know, because it was always a pain to, to stay in touch with people. And the th third, an ability to sort of meet new people through the existing people that you know. And, and people maps of the concept was that it would be like this, you know, you'd be in the center and you'd see all your connections in little arrows, and, and, and the arrows would mean kind of like what it is. Obviously not what LinkedIn is today. Um, and then and then each each node would have another arrows and show the little bubbles around that. And then if you click on that node, it would kind of move to the center. And because uh, Xerox Park had like a, a browser like that, and sometimes in, in knowledge maps or something, that technology is still used. And so we talked about that. But Reed and I met at the Avatars conference. You're both involved in virtual worlds. Kind of too early. I think it's still too early as Lyndon Lambs is figuring out now. Um, so it's always this idea that always seems attractive, but it's it's I think still a little ways off before we really delve into virtual reality for good. And uh, maybe that's not such a desirable thing anyway. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, so we were kind of leery because we just, you know, it was a lot of excitement. It was kind of like a little mini bubble in 96, 97, just when the internet hit and we were already doing like, well, 2D is passe, it's all 3D. And then lots of investment and all crash and no revenue. And so both Reed and I were like, how are we going to make money with this little thing? <laughs> so, so he decided to go off and start a dating site called Relationships.com, which later got renamed SocialNet. Of course, the VCs saw it and says, oh, this is for, for dating. And, uh, well, that's too small of a market. You, if you use this matching algorithm, you can also hook up people for work and for activity partners and for housemates and all that stuff. And so that's typically what VCs do, right? They sort of take something and say, you've got to make it bigger. Um, of course, now they all wish they'd invested in eHarmony. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we kind of went separate paths, and um, but it's you know one of my friends, a guy named Jonathan Abrams, and you said I was LinkedIn user number one, which is actually not quite true. John John Luca, our VP Engineering, was user number one, oh, but yeah. but I'm probably among the first ten. Um, but I'm also I was actually I was almost more proud of it. I was user number 25 at Friendster. <laughs> um, so so I, if you look at my member ID, they started with Jonathan's got 101, and I've got 120. And Jonathan were friends. I knew him from his previous startup. He had one for bookmarking. And I was actually just a power user. I love bookmarks and organizing them. So I had like 6,000 bookmarks in you know, several hundred folders. And just perfect for, for his site. It was called Hotlinks. And so he didn't know what to do. And so he sort of started Friendster without really planning on doing anything with it, but it sort of grew very quickly and started reminding me, like, yeah, you know, what about this people map? In the meantime, what happened in the dot-com day, somebody just said, hey, you know, this is a cool domain, can I buy it? And I was like, mm, how much? And he gave me a price. I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> I haven't done anything with it. So, you know, it's like, you know, great return of investment. Um, a little sad later that I could have probably used that domain and actually 
actually, you know, make it come to fruition. But it, it kind of reminded me, and Reed and I sat down, he was ready to leave PayPal, and so we, we kind of worked on that. And the other inspiration was really, I'd been doing consulting at the time, and and someone asked me, it's like, oh, so how do you get your clients? I'm like, good question. I don't really know, because I didn't have a business card, and I didn't have a website. And um, so I, I listed all my clients, and I was impressed how many I had. I didn't realize I had so many. And then... Um, but then I was like, how do I make each of them? And, and I, I just always had a name, like, of a person that introduced me. And I was like, hmm, well, how do I know that person? You know, and I drew, like, another name. And certain people just kept popping up, like, the same people eventually. And often was, like, self-referential. Some clients had introduced me to another client. And, and so finally the answer was sort of like, well, the way I get clients um, is I have lunch with old clients, and they have lunch with someone else the same week that has some kind of need, and because I just had lunch with them, I'm top of mind with them, and they tell them, you should talk to Constantine. And, and that's how I get my clients. So it, <clears throat> the process was very repetitive. I mean, it would actually, that's how it worked, but, but you can't target anything, right? It's like, it's like the circumstance of who do you happen to have lunch with and who do they happen to have lunch with. So it seemed kind of chaotic, and so we kind of thought, like, you know, maybe people map could bring some structure to this kind of mess, and, and so... That was sort of my part of the story that, that, you know, my inspiration of first looking at the six degrees side that grew so quickly and then my own needs and then seeing friends to also grow so quickly. These kind of, you know, my motivations that, that came, to the, came to the table. But we're five founders, um, each of us kind of from a different area. But so the next challenge was like, well, friends already exist. They've got millions of users. And, um, you know, what if they just add a business profile to their site? That could be kind of a problem. Um, because network effects are very nice if you have them. They're not very nice if your competitors have them. And, um, and there was an established business network already. How many people know or remember RISE, R-Y-Z-E? It's like, okay. Um, so that was, you know, the, it wasn't huge by today's standards, but it was the, the business network that people knew at the time and they had joined. And um, so we had to figure out, one, since they did, didn't become huge, like what did they do wrong that, that, that we should change? Otherwise, we'll have the same, at best, the same fate as them. Um, and then there was a company that got a bunch of funding called Spoke. Anybody remember Spoke? Yeah. So, so they had a lot of funding. They're already out the gate while we're still talking <laughs> and trying to figure out who's going to be on the team and what we're doing. So, so that kind of created a sense of urgency, though, to, to actually make it happen. Um, and, and Reed had just left PayPal, so that was good, and he had some money. That's always good if you don't need to look for investors, and the founders can sort of put in some money. That, that just simplifies things a lot. But then there's all kinds of other companies that was already established, a company called Academy, and there was Plaxo, which was doing not exactly the same thing, but kind of related, and Sequoia was backing them. There was a company on the East Coast called Visible Path, which was making a lot of noise. Um, and there was a company in LA called Zero Degrees, also making a lot of noise. So it was, it was a lot of things. So in terms of you know, how did we succeed, I, I don't think I have an answer for that other than I know why everyone else failed. <laughs> so, so I think part of it is just try, when you do a startup, try avoiding mistakes. And, and, and that may be enough, because if your competitors make mistakes, then uh, so. So I don't have time to discuss each of the mistakes, but if anybody's curious about any of these particular company, you know, on why they didn't work, you know, I, I think I've got a pretty good answer for that. So, and I think we, we you know, we sort of succeeded per default, because um, they all kind of messed up somewhere. Um, the, there was also a company called Jobster. Uh, anybody remembers that? I know Manal knows them. We're not here. Let me see this one. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Uh, so, uh, so you know, and they said, "Gosh, you guys!" And I was, I was a VP marketing, and and you know, if you know marketing, like, okay, you got to have your pick your target segment and just speak to that and have a very crisp value proposition. And and we always struggled with that at LinkedIn because. You know, we're trying to connect the world's professionals for whatever they want to do. <laughs> like, that is not a nice, crisp message. I'm like, okay, so why should I use it? And um, so, so Jobster kind of came out with this thing. Like, okay, you know, we know what people, you know, initially a lot of people gravitate to LinkedIn when they're doing a job search. And so they said, okay, let's just focus on that. But again, big mistake on, on what they did. I mean, it bought them something, but it really didn't work. There was a company that never launched, which was supposed to be huge and have lots of funding. Was They bought the they had the rights to the word Rolodex. I think it was Rolodex.com or something like that. Um, just, just We were kind of scared of them, too. But um, they I don't think they ever launched. So all kinds of interesting things. By the way, anybody know um, the original name for LinkedIn that we wanted it to give it? But we basically we didn't want to spend more than $5,000 for the domain. And so, so if the domain was taken, we had to ask, and if we couldn't buy it for five thousand dollars, we just crossed it off our list. Um, so, but the one that we really wanted to was called Well Connected. Um, that's that's the name. But but some like networking equipment dealer <laughs> had it, and and Reed had the scheme of like pretending we're trying to, you know, he's trying to like build some kind of content site to make it look like we're really poor, and, <laughs> and he'd feel sorry for us. But he, he kept it, and I don't know if he still has it. I haven't looked, in, you know, in in eight years or so. But but that was sort of the initial name that we liked. Uh, there are a couple other names, but sort of in the end, you know, LinkedIn was kind of this compromise none of us really liked, but it was nobody really was so offended that they would hold it up. And, <laughs> and then over time, you know, I think people like it now, and, and, and we always like the in part. We never liked the link part too much, but, but in just wasn't available. So, um, so that's well connected. Just in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in we just thought it has the emotion, so we put the little blue thing around it, and, and we all liked in. <laughs> um, so then we're launching, and and actually, one thing I'm quite proud of is it's very hard to launch a social network in stealth. Um, and um, but but we're very proud of that, that we're able to do that because when we launched, like nobody had heard of LinkedIn before. It was just all of a sudden it was there. So so it was great. They gave us a nice little pop in the beginning. You know, Reed knew Joey Ito and a lot of the bloggers, but the pop was a little different than we expected because everybody hated it, and <laughs> and said this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. The bloggers are like okay. You know they'll have users, and after a week, everything is going to die down. And and they hated it because bloggers are very—they don't distinguish between personal and business. You know, and they're very public about everything. And LinkedIn was all about privacy and you know controlling the contacts and and separating your private life from your professional life. It was everything that bloggers didn't believe. And so, so they you know very quickly. Um, um, told the world why LinkedIn would never work, um, which we didn't really care that they did. But I was like, please don't tell the world. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> keep your opinion to yourself. And you know, but we think there are like more normal business people that that you guys aren't. So um, we build it for them, not for you. But but you can't argue with bloggers. It just makes things worse. So so that was a challenge. And then we tried to tell the media, you know, a great story of what we have and. And Friendster was like, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but 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 a lot of you are old enough, you remember like what a hot thing Friendster was in the valley, and they're like, you know, how could you ever do this? Because yeah, sure, people, you know, teens and twins, they you know friend each other, but business people are not going to you know friend each other on some you know site like like this and photos, and that's just like way too cute. Though. So that'll never happen. If it does happen, 
friends are simply going to add a business profile and and you're dead. So tell me again why I should write about you. And then, like, and what's about your business model? And it's like, well, we um, have a free version and a paid version, and people will pay for that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, the Wall Street Journal just tried that and gave that up. So good luck with that one too. So it was quite hard, the, you know, getting the thing launched and the PR of that because, the, or the other thing that was happened. This was 2003, May 2003, or actually we launched more when we got the funding, um, and um, and basically all the reporters who've been talking about how great the Internet was during the dot-com days. They all got laid off, <laughs> and so the only people left were all the skeptics, you know, who didn't believe in that dot-com stuff anyway. And so, so it was it was not fun. So after that, we decided he didn't want to be involved in PR anymore, <laughs> and I kind of had the field to myself. <laughs> so it was it was great fun. Uh, for, well, it's sort of like when we. So actually, one cool thing is Sequoia actually approached us through LinkedIn and uh, requested to give us funding. So, so that's a nice thing. And I think I would give that advice to every VC is like try to, if you, because, you know, usually, I mean, either people come to you and then that's always bad. Um, but, but usually the VC goes and stretches out some deals, and those are the ones that I usually end up doing, not when people come to them. And so as an entrepreneur, you need to make sure somehow tells them that they need to come to you. So, <laughs> so it doesn't look like you're actually trying to get money from them. So, uh, and I think probably Reed did something so that they would come you know, to, to him. But, uh, but I thought the smart thing of Sequoia was to actually use the product. Because any entrepreneur you know, is just so fascinated with his own product that if the VC actually uses it, that just gives them a bag leg up over other VCs. So it's, and it is kind of important. And uh, I remember at Jaxter, which is the company I went to afterwards, and you know, I was at this conference, and a lot of people wanted to invest in Jaxter, and one guy just pulled me aside and look here, and he had his, Jaxter was about like making, clicking on the web and making a phone call, and so he showed me, he had this vacation rental cottage in Tahoe, and had a big Jaxter, orange Jaxter button on, and said, this is so cool, people can call me, and I don't need to give up my phone number in case there's later problems, and, and you know, I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> this is the guy I want to have on my board, so, so the NBCs, you know, I think, just try to flatter the entrepreneurs by using their product, and so Sequoia did that well. Um, so was that in the 10 20,000? Yeah, so when they approached us, it was probably 10 20s, and somehow the deal just took longer. I mean, they pretty much agreed. <laughs> it's like funny. So they agreed after, you know, there was one meeting with Reed, and then there was a partner meeting, and they, you know, a few hours later, they decided to invest. But then it always takes like two or three months of legal whatever. Um, so, so it, I mean, the, the, the officially we didn't get the funding until October, which was 40,000, but, but really when they decided it was like 15 to 20,000 around that time. But, but Rise had 40,000 when we launched, so, so we had kind of caught up with them, but was no, you know, we're definitely not in the, in the lead position at that point. And, uh, and Rise was just as a brand much better established. So was it mostly PR that you were doing that was acquiring some more users for you guys? Um, no, it was a mix. I mean, there was PR. Uh, we didn't really do much PR before, and there was the first PR was the Rafe Needleman in the catch of the day. You know, he oh, wrote yeah. about LinkedIn. So that was the very first PR. You know, and you remember your first one. You probably remember your first one across to however small it was. You know, it was really exciting at the time. And um, it was like one or two more, but really, you know, we kind of saved it for the funding to actually proactively reach out. And, and that gave us a nice boost, but we always watched every day kind of from virality, you know, how many invitations that sent out, what's the acceptance rate, and we watched those numbers pretty carefully. And even you know, though they're small, the important thing was, like, do they get better over time and, and as we, you know, add things to it. And so... Um, so, I mean, in absolute numbers, yeah, press was a big thing then. But press always stays a certain level. 
And even if you get better price, you can never keep up with the viral loop, and we could never get to 75 million users. So, um, so that's that. Um, let's see. Design mistakes was promised. So I would say the two biggest problems of how we designed the product were... So because we, we kind of overlearned, right? We kind of overcompensated. We looked at some competitors' rise. It was kind of a very open system, and everybody could sort of like send a message to everybody, which, you know, a lot of VCs hated because now they got kind of personalized spam, you know. And, um, and so we said, okay, we got to put all these privacy controls in place. So when you actually search for somebody, we wouldn't even show you are they two or three or four or five degrees away. We just said, you know, Minal can introduce you either to this person or to maybe somebody who knows that person, but we won't tell you because we, we don't want, you know, Manal's contacts to be opposed, uh, exposed so that I know who Manal knows. Because if we said he's a second-degree contact, then I would know that this relationship existed, but he may want to keep it private. So, so we went kind of overboard with that. I mean, it was very good from a privacy and control perspective, but the user was like, that's useless. Maybe he's 10 degrees away and it's going to pass it through nine different people. You know, I don't want that. So, so we very quickly, you know, showed actually what the degrees of separation um, was. So, so that's one example. But I think we reacted very quickly. I think that was a good thing. Um, and the other one is, you know, so we had a search feature right away. And, uh, and it was sort of like, you know, the second day people said, you know, why can't I search for people by name? And they're like, why would you want to search for a person by name? You know them. You don't need to search for them. And they're probably not on here anyway. But because uh, we always thought, like, people want to search for meeting a certain kind of person, you know, with a certain title, certain industry, and so forth. Um, but the reality was a lot of people were just trying to... Um, and we thought, like, well, if, if, if you want your contacts to be on, then just invite them. But a lot of people just wanted to search for their own contacts to check if they're already on LinkedIn. They didn't really want to invite anybody to LinkedIn, but if one of their connections were on there, they wanted to kind of link with them. And, and so, so, so we enabled the search, but then we realized, you know what, we should probably do like an address book upload because that's much, it's like a, an instant name search for, you know, whatever 400 contacts that you have in your address book. And that's kind of how that feature came about. So, so I think it's key to just learn very quickly, you know, what you missed and, but not just to do what the user asked, which would have been the name search, but to say like, okay, you know, probably now we want to do the address book upload and, and show you right away, these are your contacts who are already on LinkedIn. Um, so, so those were kind of two design mistakes. Um, I think the subscription model, I don't think it's that exciting when it's the usual advantage of, you know, recurring revenue is good when you have a startup. But I think the one thing that, that I feel is important, and it's probably not a good objective business decision, but I think as an entrepreneur, I find it much more satisfying if users, if I know certain users pay for my product. You know, I, like, I feel like I've really created something of value. If all I create something, lots of people look at it, and then an advertiser, let's say I have some other social network site, and it's all free, but Gap sells T-shirts on it. It basically means the users are, you know, what the, the old T-shirt, or not, you know, but, but the T-shirt that Gap sells is more valuable, because Gap can figure out how to get money from these users, but I as an entrepreneur can't. Mm -hmm. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? That the gap, you know, I have to go to Gap because they want Gap. They don't want me, you know. So it's, I think, subscription model is, is or, or transaction model. Whenever users pull out their credit card, is 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 just much more satisfying as an entrepreneur. The trick is, when you do it with individuals, it's very hard. Individuals don't don't really, you know, unless it's e-commerce, they don't really like pulling out their credit cards for, especially any kind of recurring things. 
Um, LinkedIn's genius from a revenue perspective is really the fact, and if you go to enterprises, you have the problem of, you know, all these gatekeepers and everything you got to sell and things, you know, get messed up in IT and purchasing and, and, and people change positions. So that's really nasty too, the enterprise business. But LinkedIn has got this beauty of where individuals adopt it, they use it for business, and then they expense it to the business. And so it's sort of the ideal thing. It's like, hey, I get these premium features, but I don't have to pay for it. And, and I can use it both for business as well as to advance my own career. Now, people like that. It's a little tricky with the companies. You know, do they want to spend for something that helps the employees find other jobs and leave the company? It's a little tricky. And that was always something we always had to navigate, and we're still navigating. I think that's, um, you know, sort of one of the, 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 the things that um, made, it, made the, you know, paying model really work. Um, future, basically, um, you know, people predicting the death of everything. That was kind of a fun article you saw. It was ranked pretty high, you know, where someone took all the predictions of all the things that are dying, including the, the web. And, um, but, but I'm going to predict the, the, the slow death, at least, not the rapid death, but the slow death of the unsocial web. So I think when people look at social networking as one component of the web, I look at it as, as the web itself and that all the other things that are you know, the rest I just call, rather than calling that social networking, I call this the web and this is the non-social web. And I think that'll disappear over time because everything will be integrated. Because as humans, we're the social beings. And you can, you know, that's already, you know, pretty far along with photos and videos um, but and with resumes. Um, but I think all the other aspects, in particular, if you look at all the top 50 services, I think they'll all be... Um, you know, connected with social information, whether it's on their own side and they draw the social information in or they are little apps inside of the social network. I, I think that it'll be smaller and smaller than on social web. And, and you know, and that's why the APIs exist and that's why LinkedIn is investing in that area. So uh, the final thing about my own startup, um, it's still pretty early. It's a little more of a hobby. So, so really mostly I want to talk to people who actually want to work for the startup. Um, at this point, for free. No, not for free, for stock options. <laughs> Those can be worth something. <laughs> Whether they are or not, you never know. But uh, so, so I'm looking for you know, people there. I don't want to recruit anybody here from Zerbaway, but if you have friends, <laughs> if you have any friends, if someone's looking at anybody has friends um, you know, who are interested, I can share some information. And um, you know, at some point, you can, you can email me. Uh, um, and, and once we're ready to let people in to test it. We want to basically fly under the radar because I figure LinkedIn was unusual because actually like what we started with is still what we are um, you know, seven, eight years later, but that's really rare. Usually you take some huge turns, especially in the first <laughs> 90 days to a year. And so, um, so I want to kind of stay as low-key as possible so that we don't make all of our mistakes in the wide open, <laughs> but with sort of 50, 50 users at a time. So that's kind of the behind. It's not that I think someone's going to steal the idea or anything like that. But so, that's the thinking there. So anybody who's interested, wants to try out things, send me an email um, at, um, well, what's uh, Yeah, I guess Constantine at StanfordAlumni.org. Um, and, um, and if you know anybody who wants to work in some kind of crazy little startup, let me know too. And that's it. You guys uh, have questions? Yeah, very untraditional, and um, but it was kind of nice because I've been VP marketing a couple other companies, and yeah, you know, it's kind of cool because you get a lot of the money that the investors give you, and you get to play with it, and other people don't. 
but but you're also the guy then at the board who has to say, hey, you you're the one who spent all my money. So <laughs> so that's kind of the the you know, the the positive and negative side. So so I basically didn't. I mean, we spend. You know, the only thing we spend is we paid a PR agency five thousand a month, and that's the only marketing spend we did for the first three four years. Um, it was viral, so I basically worked on all the you know default templates of what's the text when you invite somebody and and, and tracking all that and in a fairly sophisticated way. Uh, we did email marketing to existing members, um, the press, um, but it was it was kind of simple from that perspective. But also, you know, until I left, I, I was I think I was the only marketing employee, right? So so four years, you know, I was the only marketing employee. So. Um, which is kind of fun. You get to kind of you know do everything and see everything, and um, but you don't spend much money, so you know. We got phenomenal press coverage. Yeah. <laughs> so how much would you say that technology played a role in the growth of the business? Because obviously there's mm-hmm. creative stuff you guys do to, to really scale the cooperation. Yeah, I don't think the technology. I mean, it's got to work. I think that's the key thing. So, so you know, I mean, that's obviously one of the challenges that Friendster has. You know, Friendster's become this poster child of, of you know, having so much demand and not being able to fix it. So I think it's okay if you get too much demand and your site gets really slow, but the thing is you've got to fix it within a certain number of, you know, weeks or months. And at Jackster we had that. Um, you know, it took us, you know, it was... We, I mean, our registration page took 30 seconds to load, and we still got 30,000, 40,000 signups per day. So it was just kind of crazy. Um, but, but, you know, we had to really work on the engineering side. It was never architected to scale that quickly, but the viral growth just kind of overcame us. Um, and we ended up hiring the CTO of MySQL to help us figure out. But we would like, fix one problem, and you know, all the load went to the next bottleneck. And, and usually it was stupid stuff that you know, was done by contractors or other things. But basically, we just worked to one thing. And, and I almost... Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these days you can blame it on Ruby, right? Because they do these implicit joins of tables that should never be joined, and you don't know ever find out that that, that Rails is doing that. So um, somebody, oh yeah, it's, it's never you, right? But but the thing is, like, it, it was so weird because you like you keep working on it, you fix a problem, and it just moves to another spot. And so at some point, after working on it for a month or two, you just think like, is this ever going to work? But then all of a sudden, one of these fixes done. And all of a sudden, it's working. So, so it's uh, so you have to be, you know, believe that you just have to work each bottleneck, and because you know the tick, the problem. So I think of technology as more being sort of something you need to you need to overcome. You know, you can't fail at it, um, but it's not what drives people to sign up to the website and things like that. So. Um, but you got to be good at fixing it, and uh, and I think in consumer business it's very important to have a good analytical framework so you can, because all the testing of the templates was you know just a lot of A/B testing and be able to get that data out pretty quickly. That's that's a good thing to to try to bake in as, as soon as possible, or to, or even better use some third-party products that that work for you. Unfortunately, Google Analytics usually isn't enough, um, so that's where the problem starts. There is really. Um, not good analytics stuff that much, that handles this case. How much were you trying to actually get through the features? Um, not a lot, and I don't know. Maybe it would have been good to get rid of some features. Um, you know, it's, it's usually not too many champions. You have to have a real champion who who wants to kill things, and I could see it sometimes working. Um, 
but we always felt like, hey, nobody's using that particular thing so much. You know, that's okay. But I don't know if there was a cost. You know, would it work better if we killed some? There's definitely, you know, some features that weren't used as much as we thought. And um, so, but, 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 you know, by the time you get 75 million users, you know, even a small percentage ends up being kind of meaningful usage. And, and as long as the features accumulate data that can be valuable to the whole enterprise, it's kind of a good thing. Like even they don't get used a lot. Um, the data becomes very important, and I think that's one of the key assets that LinkedIn is, has. This data and and LinkedIn is, I think, getting pretty smart in in sort of using this data. You know, mixing, slicing, and dicing it. And pretty soon, LinkedIn will expose more of that. That really, well, I think one of the core values that professional will get from LinkedIn is, is is LinkedIn spitting this data back out after processing it in a way that really helps people, you know, drive their business forward and in their career. So I'm pretty excited. I think that's one of the key opportunities, and, and I think LinkedIn is pretty focused on it. It's got a good team on the analytics side. They're always hiring there, too. So. How, uh, how early on did you integrate with Outlook, and uh, how difficult was that? It seems, it seems like a great idea. Of understanding of your user base. Yeah, yeah, no, it was quite early. I mean, it was not the Outlook toolbar. It was just an ActiveX control. Um, but that, that we built, you know, after two months or something like that. So, so, so that, that worked out okay. Um, you know, we, we probably waited too long on the webmail. And, and some of the things we did, I think what happened is with the viral growth, it was, you know, it was pretty good. We were never great at viral growth. Not like, you know, Friendster or MySpace or Facebook, but it was always very predictable. But I think for a while the company just kind of coasted on that, um, and I think now that's much more of an initiative to, um, you know, to really optimize. A lot of things like, I think a lot of the text that I wrote, you know, and I left, you know, as a full-time employee four years ago or three years ago, I don't know, but but are still in there. <laughs> so, so, but but they but they they have initiatives to to to, to touch those and optimize those. Um, but sometimes when you have you know good success, you don't, you know, you you keep. Focusing on like the burning problems, and um, and part of it was the technology. It was very solid, very scalable, and very performant, but it didn't allow for very quick iteration. So that's been you know a big thing that LinkedIn has been working on is trying to sort of, John Luke likes to call it you know changing the en engine while you're gaining altitude on an airplane. It's it's kind of a difficult exercise, but um, and that's that's been taking a fair bit of time. But I think the the users are going to see more of the benefits um, in the next couple of years. What's your biggest fight? Fight, yeah. like with another company or oh, internal? Well, there was a big decision to be made. So we raised our Series B from Craylock at a pretty good upstep in valuation, and Reed gets a lot of credit for. It. He's very good at, you know, fundraising and working investors, and now he's an investor himself. So he did well there. But we basically, you know, had no revenue, and we realized, you know, that the next round we got a show good revenue otherwise <laughs> it's going to be a down round and so we had sort of and we already had a pretty decent burn rate and um and so we you know it's like kind of under the gun to to produce revenue and we sort of consciously decided to start with job listings um we actually thought it was the worst revenue stream but at that time we had just gotten the funding so 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 the water wasn't here yet <laughs> it was kind of here and said okay the job listing thing is going to take a while like job marketplaces take a long time to develop and so let's start with that now it's not going to give immediate rewards the premium thing is going to give the immediate rewards but but that gives it some time for the marketplace to build up so so later it become a more meaningful revenue stream um, but it means we really put under pressure for the premium offering, and so there are a lot of discussions about what premium model to use. And there's actually a Harvard Business School's case study on, on this particular decision. Um, so one, we looked at, so we have sort of 
a good section of the user base that we call relationship managers. And they do three things primarily. They, they reconnect with their old colleagues, they stay in touch with their colleagues, and they have a place to park their resume, and that's pretty much it. And a lot of people say, yeah, it's kind of me. <laughs> and and, uh, and that's, that's, that's a lot of users do that. And LinkedIn is keep trying, trying to find out what else can we do to at least give them a fourth thing to do um, because it is kind of a passive thing. But then there's two active segments. One we call the searchers and one we call the networkers. So the searchers basically, they, um, you know, they can be recruiters, they can be financial investors doing due diligence, they could be doing people doing market or technology research or other things like that, or competitive research. And so they always, they're, to them, LinkedIn is a people search engine for professionals. And in fact, at, at Jackster, the founder, I mean, I always knew he was like a big LinkedIn fan, and he contacted me through LinkedIn. I mean, so LinkedIn is also responsible for me leaving LinkedIn. He sent a contact request, you know, through a mutual introduction, and that's how I ended up. I wasn't, you know, he didn't contact me about a job. He was smarter than that. He just asked me for some advice and then <laughs> pulled me in the slippery slope. But, um, but so I always knew he was a big fan of LinkedIn. He always talked. He told everybody to do it. And it was like after a year, you know, I told him, man, did you see the new thing we have on the homepage? I was like... I've never seen the homepage. <laughs> so it's like, well, how could you not see the homepage? But he basically bookmarked the, the, the search form. And he just goes directly to the search form, never looks at the homepage, doesn't see anything that's valuable there, but he loses it like a Google, but for people. So, so there's that segment. So going back to the Series B, you weren't in favor well, so, so that's one, that was one, um, one approach to make money off of this user base that are searchers. Um, there's a much smaller group of them, like you know, maybe a couple percentage. Um, but they would pay more per, per user. And the thing was, it, it would kind of violate some of the privacy things that we had. Um, you know, some people might react negatively to, you know, because before you could only contact people by introduction. There wasn't this ability to in-mail somebody that you didn't, didn't come through introduction, which was kind of core to our value. So that was the downside. The downside of going with the searchers was that, that there's fewer of them. There's no pers no similar site that has proven that this model works, and users might be up in arms. And at the same time, LinkedIn used to be, your network used to be four degrees. We also collapsed that to three degrees to make this work. So, so we basically killed two-thirds of people's networks. That wasn't really you know, a positive aspect of this revenue um, opportunity either. And there was quite a firestorm at the time. The other one was the networkers, which was a bigger audience. Um, they're much more proven that they'll pay, but they usually pay you know, for a smaller amount. And those were kind of the two camps there. And with the networkers, it was, they were kind of like the, the searchers and the relationship managers would get along well. Um, because basically the searchers only paid us because we had the relationship managers. So even though these people are very passive, they're actually quite valuable to LinkedIn. Because sometimes people say, oh, if your user are passive, they're not important. Well, in our case, they're actually very important. But the networkers and the relationship managers don't get along well at all on LinkedIn because the relationship managers love LinkedIn because it's a clean, quiet, well-lit place. And, and it's good. And they think they're at the office. And so, good. The, the networkers think they're at a networking event. And so they keep asking these relationship managers, hey, let's connect. And they're like, who are you? We're like, no. <laughs> I was like, but, you know, we're networking here. Why are you on LinkedIn? <laughs> you know, get a life. And LinkedIn, oh, you know, I'll go to Facebook, you know. And so, so, so they, you know, they don't get along with these two groups because, and, and the networkers call it like the most boring social network ever because nobody responds and, and, <laughs> and they're not all like them, you know. So they, networkers get along with each other, but they don't get along, you know, with people there. 
Um, so, so, so we could have monetized either of these groups, and that's what the case is, and that's the advantage and disadvantage of both. So, so that was a pretty, pretty hefty thing. But I don't think it was like a, any kind of fight where I felt like people didn't, you know, just got set and like I'm fighting against the other person. It was much more trying to convince and get the positive negative. So I think it was fairly constructive. I don't remember it not being such a bad thing. Thank you.